Hello, this is Rachel McElroy. Hello, this is Griffin McElroy. And this is wonderful. Big changes afoot. It's a day of of metamorphosis, wouldn't uh-huh. you say? Yeah. No, are you talking about the new top I'm wearing? I'm talking about the, well, we have new <laughs> friends in the studio. And I always like to give new friends in the studio a shout out. Everybody, give it up for Rug. Yeah, Rug! <laughs> That's right, we have Rug in the studio today. How's it going, Rug? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Rug, you're crazy. It's a circular rug with this, a sick geometric pattern. I think it really ties the whole room together. Let's also give it up for six new floating shelves. Mm. Yeah, six new floating shelves. Mm-hmm. Haven't really taken a lot of time to put things on those floating shelves. They're more aspirational. <laughs> Griffin has had to do a, a fair amount of video work recently. Yes. And it has brought to light that his mm. office needed a little oomph. Yeah, I think uh, during a, uh, a like D&D streaming thing or like some sort of RPG streaming thing that we did during the, God, maybe even the last Max Fun Drive, Austin Walker from uh, Friends at the Table said that my office looked like a, like a hotel business center. <laughs> it really cut me deep. Um, yeah, really, it's looking huge in here. And that's the thing that everybody was thinking about when I was talking about the metamorphosis today mm-hmm. was that there's nothing else happening in the country that's bigger. Then rug. <laughs> I know everybody's tuned in to CNN right now for the live stream live. of rug. It's a, a live rug stream. <laughs> Don't miss it. Who's going to step out onto the rug? No, probably, probably just me and Rachel. Um, hey, do you have any small wonders? Mm, can you go first? I mean, uh, I, it's inauguration day. We were recording this in the, in, in the morning time. Uh, I think things are already maybe happening a little bit. Um, and that's very exciting, you know, turning over a new page stoked about that. Um, but I, I, that's, I don't know. I don't know. Can you go first? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, you know, I'm going to say, uh, fashionable glove. Mm. Part of what I have enjoyed at the, uh, inauguration is the winter wear. Yeah. Uh, most specifically the type of glove uh, that the folks are, are putting on their hands. Cause a lot of people don't oh, think sure. about that. No. Uh, and there was, there's a great clip of Bernie Sanders coming in wearing these, these mittens. Oh, I gotta see that. <laughs> They're just darling. So he's not feeling the, the burn. Oh, I guess he is feeling, he's not feeling the chill, the icy, the icy <laughs> chill. That's really nothing. Um, I'm going to say, God, I don't know, man. I've been playing, I know I talk about chess a lot on this show and I've been playing a lot and but there's an, a thing that I really like doing called pinning where you aim a piece at the king but there's a piece in between them that your opponent has and then so they can't move it and so it's like oh I bet you'd like to use that rook but you can't move it oh. I own that rook is mine now and I'm going to stomp on it however I want so satisfying every time <laughs> Um sorry that it wasn't more interesting than that do you want to tell me about your first thing, though? Yes. Uh, my first thing is blinking. <laughs> You're really... <laughs> we were talking yesterday about how you were struggling to come up with a concept, like topics for this week, uh-huh. and you are like, I, you know, it could get to the point where I would just talk about something really, really sort of basic, like blinking. I feel like you said even I said... I don't think I said blinking. Okay. Well, here we are. Moisten. Let's moisten those eyes together. There is nothing basic about blinking. you're telling me every time you blink you go like ah, ah. that's the stuff 
It's so critical, and it and it makes a huge difference. I, I read a lot about blinking. All right. And a lot of the kind of the eye strain issues and, and the problems that we all have with technology are due to not blinking enough. Yeah, I'm always saying that. Not drinking enough water, not getting enough sleep. Mm-hmm. Sleep is like one big blink if you think about it. <laughs> it's like a blink, but with dreams in it. Uh-huh. Hmm? Not your your most poetic uh, assertion, but I'll, I'll go with it. I think it's actually my, maybe my most poetic assertion. <laughs> uh, the average person blinks 15 to 20 times per minute or about 1,200 times per hour. I bet I could do more. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Is that a fucking challenge? <laughs> oh, ow. Why does it hurt when you do it this fast? <laughs> I uh, later in this segment, I will introduce a blinking exercise. Oh, fine, okay. Um, so you can take on that challenge. Okay. Uh, Are you any good at staring contests where you don't blink? I'm dog shit at them. I cannot do it. I have the most sensitive, tender baby eyes that need to be just so intricately maintained. I mean, they're national treasures. They are, yeah. Not not a lot of people realize how beautiful Griffin's eyes are. No, they're two deep pools. <laughs> I think it's because you hide them behind glasses, which you think would emphasize them. No, nope. but in fact, people can't really. They're just they're they're so magical. Yeah, Rachel's the only one that gets to see me without glasses, and the glass really obstructs them. That's true. Mm-hmm. But uh, enough about me. <laughs> uh, some animals, such as turtles and hamsters, blink their eyes independently of each other. It's a cool look. I bet yeah. every so every hamster's like, Are "You trying to get with me?" Oh no, you're. <laughs> You're um, you're just you're moistening your eyes one at a time. My mistake. <laughs> I got very excited. Uh, there are a lot of muscles up in there. I don't think I realized how many muscles. I'm not going to say the names of the muscles because I don't think anybody really needs to know them. But there's your occipital occipital <laughs> flange. You have an occipital flange on each one, right? That's one of them. The occipital the occip. <laughs> Oxonobial flange? Okay, so there is a muscle that opens the eye. There's a muscle that is in the upper eyelid. uh, And there is a muscle that functions as a squinting and winking muscle. Uh, Why not Uh, just have one muscle do all that stuff? There's a a muscle that pulls the lower lid down when you're looking down. Uh, When you're widening your eyes, there's a muscle in there. I don't like this. I know. A lot of muscles in there. Uh, Blinking is also a way to kind of determine whether or not there are particular uh, illnesses or disorders of the nervous system. um, Because the blinking can be a criteria for medical conditions. Sure. Yeah. That makes sense to me. Uh, infants do not blink at the same rate of adults. So, you know how I mentioned 15 to 20 times per minute for an adult? Yeah. Uh, infants only blink an average of one to two times in a minute. Can babies do anything right? (laughs) We're about to have another one. And like, I feel like I know a lot about the shortcomings of babies now. So I'm just gonna be looking at this kid's eyes like, blink, what are you doing? The article, now I didn't read a lot of studies on this, obviously, but the article I read, they're, they're kind of uncertain as to why that's the case oh. there's a suggestion that there's just kind of less surface area and so there's less lubrication needed right um also infants get more sleep and so there's less fatigue okay maybe that's why yeah um, lazy too aren't they <laughs> uh 
So when eyes dry out or become fatigued, that's often because uh, you are not blinking as much. So if you are reading or focusing on an object for an extended period, your rate of blinking decreases to about three to four times per minute. Interesting. Yeah. So that's why, like, I feel like now, especially if I try and read at the end of the day, yeah, it's much harder than it used to be because I'm like looking at a screen all day and then I go to try and read and my yeah. eyes dry out real fast. Well, for, for me, I noticed this last night. I was reading uh, a book on my Kindle after you'd gone to bed, right? And yeah. so it's like illuminated backlight. And depending on like the angle that I'm laying down while I'm reading, sometimes my left eye, which has that blind spot, will just drift, like wildly drift oh. to, like, uh, to the side. And I have to like blink to like real to like in. recenter yeah. yeah yeah that that is the big suggestion is that if you make a conscious effort to blink every 10 to 15 seconds it'll keep your vision sharper while who makes working. a conscious effort to <laughs> blink every 10 to 15 seconds how long could you maintain that it would be the only thing you did all day you need to put a little alarm on your phone that goes off every 10 to 15 <laughs> seconds uh-huh yeah that's gonna make you very popular in the the zoom meetings uh, okay, so here is a blinking exercise. Sure. Uh, set aside five one-minute sessions spread throughout the day, every day for two weeks to blink. During each minute, look each of the five forward directions, up, down, left, right, center, and blink 10 times in each direction. You should make sure your eyes are closing fully, but do not squeeze your lids tight. I. How do I look right now? Cool. Real cool. <laughs> do I look really cool right now? This is hard, babe. <laughs> How do you blink looking up? Ow. <laughs> Ow. Fuck. Ow. God, why does this hurt my eyes to do that? <laughs> hey, folks at home, I feel like we should put a disclaimer in. Don't do this because you may hurt your eyeballs. <laughs> I was wondering a lot because I can only wink one eye. And That's it true. And me wonder about the muscles on the right side of my face that I can't like... Yeah. You know, I can't wink. Watching you try to wink with that side <laughs> of your face is among my favorite things in the world. Sometimes you just like don't close either eye. So you do what you just did, which is kind of like move your head diagonally a little bit. Like, you know. And sometimes I have to like, that's that's the sign I have to know in order to know that it's on, you know. I can wink my left eye. Yeah. That's At least true. I think I can. Now I'm embarrassed to Let's try. Let's see it. You def you can I say something? You make a meal of it. <laughs> Every single part of your face, even your right eye, is like contributing somehow. Um, can I tell you about my first thing? Yes. My first thing is trading card games or collectible card games, which Whoa. is like this. Th it's something that I have had so much exposure to, and it's something that I would be willing to bet you have had virtually zero exposure to. You never got. I, you never have played a Magic the Gathering no. or anything along those lines. <laughs> no. I'm assuming. You know what? I feel like a real cool kid on this podcast sometimes. <laughs> hey, there's nothing not cool about not playing Magic the Gathering. That sentence got away from me a little bit, but um, it's and it's been a minute since I've been in the in the scene. Yeah. I, I think, um, especially now. Uh, in in these pandemic times, like virtual, you know, online trading card games, yeah. whether they are sort of a virtual extension of a Magic the Gathering or Hearthstone is the big one. That's the one I used to play a whole now, whole lot. I noticed you're not saying Pokemon, and I'm wondering Pokemon why. is coming. Pokemon is coming later. Okay. We will we will talk about Pokemon, okay. but like I played a lot of trading card games growing up, yeah, to varying degrees of like seriousness. Pokemon's probably the most serious I got in that I competed in Pokemon tournaments. 
with my with my beautiful deck uh, as a psychic fighting type deck, which and is. And you sold off some of those cards to like get through oh, college, God. right? Not to get through college. <laughs> no, I sold a binder of all of my cards, and these were like first generation original run Pokemon cards yeah. that are now worth a disgusting amount of money. I had a Charizard. I had a hologram Charizard from a first series that would be worth so much money. Uh, but I sold all of them to build a PC when I was in college. That is a that is an important thing. No, Don't I mean I count that. Yeah, I got like four hundred bucks out of it. So like uh, you know that's that was a, a decent return on investment. Adjusted Any, for inflation, that's a million dollars now. Adjusted for the the value of those cards now, <laughs> it would be worth much 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 more than that. Um, so traditional like collectible card games involve you putting a deck together that you then sort of battle other people's decks with you can get pre-made sort of starter decks which is usually how people get their their start which you kind of supplement with booster packs uh which you know you see videos of people opening a pack that has you know seven or eight cards in it and they get excited maybe they get a good one maybe they get one that has a hologram on it and that's especially exciting very very shiny cards i think i collected pokemon cards long before i ever learned how to actually play the game because i just liked opening up the deck and seeing pictures of pokemon and sometimes they were shiny and it would be like five dollars every time i wanted to get that thrill anytime i wanted to uh it was essential i mean you're essentially talking about you know a fresh pack of smokes at that point. You just need a little bit of a, a, a rush. Um, Magic the Gathering is sort of the quintessential trading card game. It was the first one, and it is still very, very much going strong. Uh, it was created by a guy named uh, Richard Garfield, who has gone on to make like a few other things, none of which have sort of been the smash hit success uh, that Magic the Gathering uh, has. It came out in 1993 and was just instantly huge like instantly incredibly incredibly successful you could not find magic cards in the store in 1993 and like the game has gone on to evolve and in incorporate all these other things and uh shed other things uh, an element in magic and in a lot of trading card games like back in the day was essentially gambling where you would have to draw a random card for your from your deck and that would be the ante for that game so that if you lost that game you would get the opponent's ante so there was an actual sort of yeah. like yeah see that's what i was wondering about with trading card games is 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 it like other games where you end up stealing other people's cards and they're yours now um i mean that that was sort of a that was very quickly sort of phased out that was an element in pokemon too and and, and i definitely got some cool cards that way and i definitely lost some cool cards yeah. that way and it uh because uh there are sort of as magic went worldwide and different countries have like different extremely strict gambling laws that that sort of element has it has has gone by the wayside but magic introduced like these concepts like you have mana cards that you have to spend to cast these spell cards or summon creature cards and then you battle your opponent's creatures or try to punch through them to actually damage the the opponent and if you lower their health all the way you win that is like pretty standardized now like that's how hearthstone works that's how like all of these other games work so this game that came out in 1993 really did set the set the the stage for every other trading card game that came after it. Uh, and man, did I play a lot of them? I played magic for a bit. I played Pokemon for a long time. One second place in the mid Ohio con, uh, tournament yeah. won won a couple of toys RS tournaments, which was very exciting. 
Um, Can I ask, this is a real practical question, but how do you carry around those cards? Uh, I mean, there's a whole uh, Did you? I mean, like, cause industry. You're getting, you're getting ready to play. Right. So it's not like you want them in a binder. You want them like ready. No. So I had a little plastic box, basically, like okay. a little plastic box that was the size of a deck that you, yeah. you know, take care of. Okay. I, I was never into a lot of people put their cards into sleeves. I never did that. Like oh, each card individually, each wow. every single one. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was never, that was never my scene, even when I was like deep in Pokemon. Um, but I mean, there was a, I played an X-Men trading card game. I played a Harry Potter trading card game for a while. I think there was a Power Rangers trading card game that I played for a little bit. And a lot of them are very like derivative of, of one another. Pokemon was cool because you weren't trying to damage like your opponent. You were just trying to knock out a certain number of enemy Pokemon and you could like switch them out at will. Uh, Pokemon still has a very vibrant and active trading card game scene as well. I think huh. Dragon's Lair back before pandemic times yeah, had like right. Pokemon tournaments like all the time. Do you think you could still do it? No, no way. I no mean, way. Not, obviously you don't have the cards, but like, do you have the skill? No, I don't think so. I, I, there is a certain amount of investment that you have to do. I mean, financial investment, certainly. <laughs> um, but I played a lot of Hearthstone when, when that first came out and I played it for many years actually. And... There is a huge financial investment that goes into that because you are spending real money on virtual cards to build yeah, your deck. Yeah, I remember seeing you play that. Um, and so in order to be good, like you not only had to have like a solid deck, you had to essentially know what every card in the game was. So you could anticipate what your opponent might oh. have in their deck. It's a huge amount of sort of time investment and money investment that like I am do not think I'm capable of anymore. Yeah. Um, but I just have always really, really liked it. I, I, I Twofold, right? I like the idea of you having your deck. My psychic fighting type deck, uh, I, which was called Brains and Brawn, uh, I like carried that through a couple years like constantly iterating on it where i'd like play somebody and i would notice some shortcoming in the deck that i would then try to switch out cards here and there and so the thing i had was very this was like before internet where you would like go on and find out what the best deck is and then just try to replicate that this was like this is my this is my sword there are many like it but this one is my like that was (laughs) like so cool to me uh as 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 a kid um but also like i was obsessed with opening booster packs and yeah. seeing what you got i mean there's still a whole youtube industry around sure there was a kiosk at the mall where they would sell you a booster pack and you would open it and if you got like a hologram charizard or blastoise was kind of valuable too they would buy it right back from you on the spot if you wanted to like a charizard you could get like a hundred bucks like right back which then you could just reinvest into more booster cards um yeah there's another thing these days called deck building games where you get like a big pack i think netrunner is a big one that i've been kind of curious about for a while but you get just a big box with all the cards in it and then you sort of draft cards to make a deck when you play it but you don't have to go out and buy a bunch of you know, maybe I'll get this very rare card or not. Yeah. Um, yeah. I like card games in general. Um, and I've been kind of itching. There have been like a lot more digital card games coming out lately. And I've been kind of itching to get back into one of those. But I do not think I will ever, ever be able to break back. Mostly because I don't know who the fuck I would play those against. Unless you also <laughs> wanted to get deep into Magic the Gathering with me <laughs> these days. Um, no, it would be Pokemon if I got back into one. It probably would be that. But mm-hmm. that even seems like a further, a further. Which one would you rather play? I don't know enough about either to really make that call. That's the correct answer. <laughs> Can I steal you away? Yes.
it can be intimidating trying to roll with the console cowboys in cyberspace. Um, there's always the worry that maybe they know something that you don't vis-a-vis um, website design or website functionality, and you think, I could never be that. I could never be among their illustrious ranks. Griffin, if I wanted to build a website where I ranked my favorite episodes of Ghost Rider, would I be able to do that? Well, first of all, it would be the same list as everybody else's with the Julia Stiles <laughs> episode at the top. But yes, you can do that with Squarespace. It's the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. Every Squarespace website and online store comes with a suite of integrated features and useful guides that help maximize prominence among search results. Do you want to have special functionality, like maybe a members-only VIP club section of your website? You can do that. Do you want to sell stuff? Yeah, you can do that too. Do you want to have an online scheduler so that people, you can, you can sell uh your time yeah you can do that also anything is possible that's um there for the commercial the super bowl commercial they had that was my voice yelling anything is possible in the wow background. yeah not a lot of people know that hey head to squarespace.com slash wonderful pod for a free trial and when you're ready to launch use offer code wonderful pod to save 10 percent off your first purchase of a website or domain griffin yeah you know it's a shame what is that when you order uh, meals to be delivered to you, they can only be for dinner. That's true because of the law. But wait, wait, what's this coming across our desk? The law is different now? <laughs> it's factor. These rebels are operating outside the boundaries of food law. <laughs> factor has breakfast. They have midday bites. They have smoothies. Uh, there's lots of stuff you can get with Factor. What other things can you get with Factor? Well, I'm looking at this menu right now. They got a lot of tasty little options for you. I'm talking about artichoke and spinach chicken with roasted zucchini and tomato butter. Did you even know that butter could be tomato? <laughs> Not me. Shredded chicken and loaded mashed taters with, I changed the word. They say potatoes, but I said taters, precious. With mushroom <laughs> gravy, smoked cheddar, uh, bacon, and Parmesan broccoli. Uh, this this menu is out of sight, and my mouth is just watering looking at these glossy JPEGs of tasty food. So head to factormeals.com slash wonderful50 and use code wonderful50 to get 50% off. That's code wonderful50 at factormeals.com slash wonderful50 to get 50% off. Oh, we have bumblebums. Did you know? We have them. And I'd love to read one because this first one was, uh, it's for Tanny and Sean. And it's from uh, Emery Zeitz, who says, you introduced me to the McElroys and I introduced you to Monster Factory. From there, our friendship has only grown more meaningful. Sean, you are one of the funniest and most thoughtful people. You both are such amazing friends. I'm so thankful and proud to know you two. Here's to more Matwa games and Franksgivings. I love you both. That is, of course, an acronym for Monster of the Week, I believe. Oh. The game that we played for Taz Amnesty. I'm just assuming. I can't imagine what else it could stand for. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of miss that. I kind of miss that system. I kind of wish I was still playing Monster of the Week. Uh, not on a, in a recorded format, but just yeah. for funzos. Well, I mean, there's still time. There is still time. I'm a young man. Can I read the next message? Please. This is for Patrick. It is from Melissa. Hey, Patrick. I'm so proud to call you a best friend. Even though we're far apart, we always have fun and deep conversations about anything and everything. I cherish our terrible puns. Someday we will meet in person and have an excellent best friend hug. I hope you get to chillax every day and throw on a cool record. I love you, bro. 
Um, my glasses are filthy right now, and I was kind of like going cross-eyed trying to read the small text uh, on the on my phone here. And so I did think I did think it said, "I cherish our terrible puma." <laughs> and I was like, "There's a story there. I want to know." I like there's just enough personal detail here that potentially there is a Patrick and Melissa listening. That's like, is this? Is this, this us? Me? We. I do have a terrible puma. I do. Like chillaxing. I do say stuff like that a lot. (laughs) Welcome back to Fireside Chat on KMAX. With me in studio to take your calls is the dopest duo on the West Coast, Oliver Wong and Morgan Rhodes. Go ahead, caller. Hey, uh, I'm looking for a music podcast that's insightful and thoughtful, but like also helps me discover artists and albums that I've never heard of. Yeah, man. Sounds like you need to listen to Heat Rocks every week. Myself and I'm Morgan Rhodes and my co-host here, Oliver Wong, talk to influential guests about a canonical album that has changed their lives. Guests like Moby, Open Mike Eagle, talk about albums by Prince, Joni Mitchell, and so much more. Yo, what's that show called again? Heat Rocks, deep dives into hot records. Every Thursday on Maximum Fun. What is your second thing? My second thing. Pockets. <laughs> all right, all right, all right, all right, all right, but, uh, all right. But what is blinking except <laughs> putting your eyeball in a pocket of flesh? This so uh, sometimes I, I I think of like an everyday thing. Yes, and then I'll look into it to see if there's anything there, and a lot of times there's not. Right. Pockets, much like blinking, a lot of stuff there. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure, for sure, <laughs> definitely. I mean, yeah. Here's. Here's the difference between the two of us. Uh-huh. Like, I I didn't I didn't play a lot of games, you know. Right, right. My my time prior to meeting you was a lot of pockets. A lot of pockets. <laughs> you have no excuse, honey. <laughs> there's nothing there's no there is no excuse, I feel like. I'm curious to hear about the history of pockets, mm-hmm. right? I'm just saying you I have never heard you talk about pockets. I guess maybe in the context of like. Why do you I'm, think I like overalls so much? Yeah, that's true. It's just pockets all the way down. Why do you think when I when I wear a dress, I'm always excited that there's pockets in it? I feel like you're describing every person who wears dresses. No, but here's the thing. Yeah. All right, so pockets weren't really a thing for women for a very long time. Sure, yeah. So that was what was really interesting about this this research is that, yeah, like every person I know that wears dresses is like, there are pockets in it. And universally, this is like acclaimed. Right. <laughs> and I was always just like, why is this so exciting? And I realized it's because like, based on the silhouette, based on the history, like whatever's popular at the time, like it is not common to find a functional pocket in an item of clothing for a woman. Right. Um, and so this this used to be a thing for everybody. Uh, in the medieval era, both men and women tied little bags to their waist, which is why when you go to those Renaissance fairs, everybody's got the little bags tied to their waist, you know? I always just assume there's some sort of ungent in there, some sort of <laughs> magical dust. Um, I mean, probably just like weapons. I'm guessing, uh, right? A little bag tied to your waist that is filled with weapons? Just little tiny weapons. <laughs> like a tiny like a small sword? <laughs> little throwing stars. Like a cocktail sword? <laughs> why do you need why would they need wait, hold on. You think people at the Rin Fair are walking around with pouches no, filled with oh, no. shuriken? I'm saying the olden days. You're saying in olden days? <laughs> yeah, people needed little 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 shuriken to throw around. Little little hidden weapons. Specifically throwing stars though. 
Well, I I don't I don't have a wealth of knowledge on weaponry, so about that was medieval what I could, throwing weapons. That's what I could think of. Okay, just a little tiny mace. <laughs> All right, Isn't that cute to think about, like a little mace and yeah. like a, a a bad guy coming for a knight, and the knight's like, Pink. <laughs> but then he's been killed by the bad guy's regular size weapon. Uh, part of the reason that we moved to pockets is that like. For thieves, you know, like you really wanted to like hide your your valuables. You didn't want like, here's this bag that you can rip off my waist. So pockets became more of a thing too. I mean, it's the logic there. Like I want to put my valuables closer to my butt and privates because I'll feel it more that like I will definitely know that you have touched well, my and butt. Well, you just don't know what somebody has, you know, right. like with a big bag, you can be like, oh, I bet there's a lot of good stuff in there, but there's a lot of tiny weapons. <laughs> right. Well, that was the, t- the the whole term cut purse was essentially like that, right? Because you could cut that bag right open and they would never be, never be the wiser about it. You can't cut somebody's butt open. <laughs> I mean, I guess you can. I don't really want to get into that. Yeah, I don't want to either. Uh in the late 17th century is when you start seeing pockets in uh, clothing uh, permanently sewn into coats and waistcoats and trousers. Um, women at this time is, is you know, like big, wide skirts. Uh, and so you were getting sometimes like pockets just like in various parts of the skirt, but not in like a functional, like I can slide my hand in kind of way. Right. But in like a storage hidden within layers kind of way. Okay. I guess I don't really understand what the function of that would be if you have to like lift your dress up and like dig around in there for a bit to pull out your chapstick. Yeah, I mean, I think the idea is that it was not like a public pocket, you know. Oh, it was a secret pocket. It was like, I've got to go to the powder room and dig in my skirt for 20 minutes to find what I need. Yeah. There was also uh, something called the reticule, which was a highly decorated purse. Oh. also, uh, something called chatelaines, which was like waist chains. Whoa. These, these are like wallet the, chains. <laughs> these are like the beginning of purses in like the eighteen twenties. But wait, did, they actually have wallet wallet chains? Is what you're talking well, about? It was, a, it was a waist a waist chain that attached to your valuables. Yeah, that's it, a fucking wallet <laughs> chain. You can't tell me that's not a fucking medieval wallet chain. I, I mean, mean, not medieval. What is a purse? I mean, it basically it was a purse. But it went around your waist. So like it's a, a fanny pack? Like a fanny pack, yeah. It's a fanny, it's a wallet chain fanny pack. Yeah. <laughs> Why do we not still have those? Why do we not still, I would wear that every time I left the house. Are you kidding me? Not especially adjustable though, if you think about it. I don't want it to be adjustable because I don't want thieves to adjust it off my body. Mm, okay. I mean, I'm sure there's a market out there for it if you want to go on Shark Tank. Fuck yeah. I would love to go on Shark Tank. <laughs> I would love to meet Mark Cuban. Give him a piece of my mind. <laughs> it would be great for you to go on Shark Tank and just have Justin and Sydney like stumble upon you and we'd never tell them that no. it happened. Yeah. You're just watching and suddenly you're on there with your That would be great. Your chained fanny pack. I think they only like that weird Canadian Shark Tank though. I don't oh, think they watch Dragon's Den. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what really made the difference for pockets uh, for women was uh, 1890s. There was an organization called the Rational Dress Society. Fuck yes. That called for women to uh, dress for health, ditching corsets and wearing loose trousers and adopting clothing that allowed for movement, like bicycling. Awesome. Yeah. That's such a, what's, what's the name of the organization again? Rational Dress Society. That's awesome. 
Uh, and then this is this is right, you know, this is right around when women are like going into the workforce. Right. So all of a sudden they're like able to wear pants and do all these things because they're desperately needed to have these like very important jobs. Right. Uh, and a 1910, uh, quote, suffragette suit uh, with no less than six pockets became all the rage. Awesome. Uh, so this, so this was like a really, a big time. There's a whole book about this called The Pocket, colon, A Hidden History of Women's Lives from 1616 to 1900. Uh, just talking about this evolution of pockets for women. That is very fascinating. Um, but, you know, as fashion changes, you know, there are setbacks. I mean, I, I was reading an article. So a lot of what I pulled is from a Vox article in 2016, but uh, there's just a lot of articles talking about how, like, essentially the front pockets for women are never functional. Like, they're yeah. always just, like, decorative. Uh, and a lot of that is for, like, as I mentioned earlier, like, this this silhouette. You know, there's there's a lot of movements where, like, oh, we have pockets now. Nope, now we don't. Now it's not fashionable anymore. Um, just to kind of, you know, slim the, the front and the hips. You yeah. Know, a lot of times they're removed. Uh, in 1954, Christian Dior famously said, men have pockets to keep things in, women for decoration. <laughs> All right. Um, but yeah, it's just like in 1933, you know, Women's Wear Daily is still saying, should women wear trousers? Like there, there is, this has been a conversation uh, for a very long time and, and continues to be. Uh, and, you know, speaking of silhouette, it made me think of the cargo short. Oh, sure. How it is like you know, reviled now because I think a lot of times it, it was a it was a more baggy appearance. Yeah. No, uh, we're definitely <laughs> we're cresting the wave right now where we're gonna soon just hate pockets again. I know. Yeah. For everyone. I know, but I love the pocket. I'm I guess it's sort of I'm more of a minimalist than you. Like I don't need my wallet most of the time, you know? Uh-huh. But you Oh, you have a smaller phone now. You don't have a giant phone. I have a anymore. tiny little phone. I could keep, I could hold this thing in my mouth <laughs> and just walk around. My mouth is a is a pocket for my teeth. If you think about it, and tongue. What is happening to you today? What is happening to you today? <laughs> I would argue, madam. Can I do my second thing? Yes. My second thing is, is I promise it's unironic. I don't know that I will be able to sell that i i don't bring ironic things to this show i feel like that would be contrary to the spirit of the of the wonderful brand for us yeah. to bring things that we don't actually enjoy so when i say that i love the song what a fool believes by the doobie brothers i need people to understand that that is that maybe that started out as an ironic <laughs> enjoyment i mean here is my history with the doobie brothers and really all sort of music from the Yacht Rock era, which is that my dad fucking loved it. This is what I'm wondering. I'm wondering how many more years I get with you before you become Clint McElroy. I'm, I'm there, babe. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, at least from a, like, uh, the kind of media I consume. As, yeah. As it, it's, I've been there. Uh -huh. uh, but my dad would, like, play this music, and I'd be like, this sucks when I was younger. <laughs> and then Yacht Rock, the, the uh, web series, the web series yeah. came out, and then it was kind of, like, fun to make fun of it. And then I did enjoy, uh, like, ironically, like, I would put it on the jukebox whenever we went to bars yeah. or whatever. And I think there's just been a very pleasant, Back backslide <laughs> into unironically enjoying the works of the Doobie Brothers, uh -huh. uh, specifically "What a Fool Believes," and I think this song absolutely slaps. And if you laughed when I brought it up, 
or dismissed it out of hand, I want you to just sort of cruise on the vibes right now as I play a little bit of the song What a Fool Believes by the Doobie Brothers. Did you listen to it when I told you I was going to bring it? You know the song, right? I do know the song. I didn't seek it out, no, because I feel like I'm familiar with it. I mean, the thing for me about this song, there's a lot, and I'm going to come back to this, but that synth sound that they have in it is the most pleasant, that like almost like calliope fucking circus whistle ass synth sound that's like that was a really good impression of it <laughs> it's throughout the whole song it's like my favorite little it's like my favorite little instrument in all of recorded music it's throughout the whole song it's so pleasant and they use every like inch of it it's constantly like in the background just sort of like accentuating the melody and then at one point it's just like very very little tiny little stabs of chords as they get into the pre-chorus uh that you can just barely hear in the background but if you know to listen for that delightful (laughs) that delightful little synth it's 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 always right there uh i'm a sucker for i think this song when when did this song come out like 79 i think uh yeah it came out on on the doobie brothers 79 album minute by minute uh, I like love old synths like that. Like yeah. it's why I love Mort Garson as much as I do. And to yeah. hear one that is this prevalent in a song that went number one on the charts is like, is so fucking delightful to me. Um, I also just like the structure of the song is so bizarre. Uh, I had never really read the lyrics to what a fool believes. Yeah, I have not. I'm just going to read it. I'm going to read some of like the beginning lyrics of what a fool believes, because when you hear it, not in the context of the song, you're like, wait a minute, that that's lyrics to a song. I'm just going to start. Okay. He came from somewhere back in her long ago. The sentimental fool don't see trying hard to recreate what had yet to be created once in her life. She musters a smile for his nostalgic tale, never coming near what he wanted to say, only to realize it never really was. She had a place in his life. He never had to think twice. The only kind of rhyming couplet in the song there uh and he rises to her apology anybody else would surely know he's watching her go but what a fool believes he sees no wise man has the power to reason away what seems to be is always better than nothing and nothing at all keeps sending it like what are you doing (laughs) it feels like shakespearean (laughs) it's it's so wild like this is it was written by michael mcdonald and kenny loggins yeah uh and it just goes. It just goes and goes and goes yeah. and goes and goes and goes like that. You can't it's, really attach to a particular image or narrative in that. Right. It's just like one long train of thought. Yeah. So from like a songwriting perspective, that's wild. Uh-huh. That's like, I, I think you kind of have to give them a little bit more credit than than you usually would when you hear, here's a song by the Doobie Brothers. Uh, yeah, it's just absolutely, uh, it's absolutely wild. It won, uh, minute by minute, won record of the year in 1980 Grammys. And what a fool believes one song of the year at the 1980 Grammys. Wow. I think it's well earned, man. I think it's, uh, <laughs> I, I think it's just a pleasant song that I like to vibe to for sure. <laughs> but I also think like by a lot of different ways that you could judge, uh, a, a, you know, a song lyrically, 
uh, melodically. Yeah, you haven't mentioned the harmonies. Compositionally. I mean, yeah, I mean, the harmonies are absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a good fucking song. It's my favorite Doobie Brothers song, and that's saying something. Because <laughs> they got some slappers. They got some slappers in there. China Grove, forget about it. Taking it to the streets, stop it. Oh, that is a good one. Not as good as What a Fool Believes. Uh, okay, so let's talk about what our friends at home are into. Uh, Finn says, I am a sewist, and something I find oh so wonderful is that sometimes I get to work with really soft fabric like Sherpa, which means spending the whole dang day half wrapped in the fluffiest material you ever did touch. I also find it wonderful that sewist is the term for people who sew. It's just very fun to say. I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. Fun fact from Finn. Thanks, Finn. Uh, Derek says, rarely does a garnish punch as far above its weight class as the maraschino cherry. It completes an ice cream sundae, becomes a boozy sweet treat in an old fashioned, and they're even good enough to eat right from the jar. I love a maraschino cherry. Oh my God. Yes. I think that's my favorite part of old fashions, which I enjoy in old fashioned every now and then is when you do get to like the little fruit snack at the bottom. Huh. You don't like that? that. You don't like it? Eh, So sweet. So sweet. That's a feature, not a bug. I do like them in a milkshake because like I know what I'm getting into, right? Like that is sweet on sweet and I'm ready for it. Yeah. But when they're like in an alcoholic beverage, I'm like, whoa, what? What's this doing here? You don't like a little chunky syrup? That's not true. You like a Bloody Mary. It's not the texture that's upsetting you, though. It's the it's the it's sweet. sweet. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. I think it's maybe. Uh, it's like a little gusher in there, you know. Yeah. I mean, I worked at TCBY where we just had an infinite supply of maraschino cherries, so I'd just be in the back room, just <laughs> running them down. If my blood sugar was getting low, I would eat some maraschino cherries, and I'd be like, "What? It's vitamins." I wish, I wish I had some footage, some security camera footage of you at that TCBY. I mean, I know that you found a spot where you could be undetected. Yeah, or I, I could just think. play my Nintendo DS and eat maraschino cherries by myself in the corner <laughs> behind the coats. Yep, 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 yep. Um, hey, thanks to Bone and Augustus for these for our theme song "Money Won't Pay." You can find a link to that in the episode description. And thank you to Maximum Fun for having us on the network. Go to MaximumFun.org. Check out all the great shows that are on MaximumFun.org. Yeah, you should check out Reading Glasses. Oh, yeah. I feel like, you know, Poetry Corner for me is just like a little segment that I do every once in a while. But if you want to hear more about books, mm-hmm. every episode. Yeah, we had a, a I want to recommend Fanti. We had an episode on on our, our feed here last year. And uh, that show is fucking great. It's funny. Yeah, getting lots of recognition and, for how good that show is. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, catch catch the wave. Catch the Fanti wave. Um, yeah, I think that's I think that's probably going to do it. I mean, I can't think of other announcements. Oh, uh, the podcast book comes out next week. Uh, everybody has a podcast except you. Uh, it's a book that me and my brothers wrote that uh, Rachel got got uh, a what, what would you call it like a guest a guest verse on yeah there is a a chapter focused on research and just the experience of researching for a podcast and and me and Sydney and Teresa all wrote a little a little segment in there it's it's I would recommend okay if you're like oh I'm not gonna do a podcast so I don't need it it's like not it's not a super technical book it's very accessible I, it, I would yeah. think if you enjoy the Macquarie podcast and you want to know what the uh, the special sauce is sure that's the book for you we wrote it from a sort of hobbyist 
for yeah. a hobbyist reader, not for somebody who's like a you know going to start working for WNYC or whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and and so yeah, it's it's we worked hard on it, and I'm I'm proud of it. And it comes out next next week, and you can uh, find out more like how to pre order it or whatever at McElroy.Family. It would be super cool if you pre ordered it. There is something of a mm, freezing effect that uh, our current sort of life situation has on book sales so anything you can do to help us rectify that would be pretty cool um but that's it yeah thanks thank you hey thank you thank you thank you thanks um, thanks a million spank you no nope. very much nope spank you very much no no thank you spanks for the memories do you like this guy no not at all you don't. What do you not like about him? Ooh, there's a lot. There's a lot. Okay, just to say it, he's a big boy. <laughs> he can take it. <laughs> say what you need to say about about Spanker, and then and then let's move on. Uh, he's not remotely funny or charming or attractive to me. You said he could take it. Oh, he could. I can't. <laughs> MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.